Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. The book of Romans is truly one of the high peaks of the Bible. It is an intimidating mountain to climb, but the view from the top is well worth it. In the first four chapters, we hear that all have sinned, but the Apostle Paul takes us to the heart of why Jesus is such good news. We discover that his gospel changes everything about how we see the world. It means peace, it promises holiness, it beckons us to freedom, and it calls for love. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. Good evening, my name's Ben, and I'm going to read from God's Word. The first reading comes from Psalm 34, verses 1 to 10, and that can be found on page 550 of the Bibles in front of you. So that's Psalm 34, 1 to 10. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes, his, takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The second reading is from Romans 3, 27 to 31, which is on page 1115 of the Pew Bibles. That's Romans 3, 27 to 31, on page 1115 of the Bibles. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all, rather we uphold the law. Well, good evening, everybody. It's a great, it's a great privilege uh, to be here tonight to stand before you and speak to you from God's word. So before I start, how about I pray, because I need help to do that. Let's pray together. Our Father, I stand here now as your child, only because you have justified me freely by your grace. For this, I am eternally grateful. Father, would you use me tonight to remind us all of the joy that is found 
in this justification by grace alone. And yet, Father, I know that in this room there are some that do not know this joy. So would you send your spirit? Would you awaken the hearts of those who do not know you? Would you do this for your glory and for the good of your people? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I teach scripture every week at a local school. Uh, I love it. I love going into the classroom and doing scripture. Before I went to Bible college, I'm at Bible college now, before I went there, I used to be a teacher, and I, I really miss being in the classroom. Kids are really honest. I once had a kid come up to me and say, Mr. Varko, you're ugly. I threw a ball at his face for that, and I was all right. It was, it was okay, it was dodgeball, you know, you're allowed to, it's, it's the legal way to hurt, hurt them. <laughs> but the other thing I've noticed about kids around here, especially in Newtown, they're, they're so different. Kids in Newtown are crazy. They actually drink coffee. Like primary school kids are drinking coffee in Newtown. I don't even know what's going on there. I went away last year to the youth group weekend away, and none of the kids really wanted to do anything besides sit and just talk and drink coffee. And like, they're kids. Kick a ball. Do something. Anyway, that's be- that has nothing to do with the talk. Just so you know. <laughs> this semester, as I've been teaching scripture, we've been talking about the gospel the good news of salvation through Christ. And as we've been talking about this, I asked them this question. I said to them, would you rather earn your salvation or would you rather have it free as a gift? Have a think about that for yourselves. If you could earn your way to heaven or you could get it free as a gift, what would you choose? Well, it was actually really interesting to hear what the kids said. Nearly every one of them said they would rather earn it. Now, to be honest, that surprised me a little bit. First of all, I thought, you know, kids, they're pretty lazy. They just take the easy option. That's what I'd do. But when I asked them why they wanted to earn it, they said this. So the reason they would rather earn their salvation is because then they could say that they did something. They did something to earn their salvation. Now I wonder, do we have the same answer? Do we want to be able to say to God that I did something to earn my salvation? Now that's, that's what religion's about, right? We, we follow a set of rules and if we do well enough, we get eternal life. But what I want to see, what I want all of us to see tonight is that Christianity isn't a religion of works. We do absolutely nothing to earn our salvation. And because of that, we have nothing to boast in. It's all of God. And this is amazingly freeing news. So that's what I want us to get tonight. Now, if you have a Bible, and I really hope that you do, if you could open back up to Romans 3, the passage we are looking at tonight. And let's hear what Paul has to say. Now, we're getting to the end of chapter 3. Uh, and Paul here raises three questions. Uh, three uh, consequences that come from what Andrew spoke about last week. From verses 21 to 26, Paul outlines the gospel, the justification we have by faith apart from works. 
And tonight we're going to look at three questions that Paul raises. Okay, so let's have a look together. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. So why is, why is this boasting excluded? Well, it's excluded for as we saw last week, we are not justified by our works, but we are justified by faith. Now, if we had been justified by works, we'd have something to boast about. And Paul actually goes on uh, in the next chapter, which we will see next week, to say this. He says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But we haven't been justified by our works. In fact, the exact opposite is true. A couple of weeks ago, verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. The law doesn't make us righteous. It does the exact opposite. It shows us that we're not. We're sinners, and the law makes us conscious of our sin. But as well as that, there's another reason why we can't boast. Paul says, we have nothing to boast in at all because we're justified by faith apart from works of the law. Have a look in verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Okay, well, you might say, fine, I can't boast in my works, but at least I can boast that I believed. Uh, well, sorry, have a look at verse 23 and see what he says. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We did nothing to earn our justification. We weren't even alive when it happened. It was God that presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Verse 25, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Or again in verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. All we do is have faith. All we do is believe. But I think often when we talk about faith, you know, in church, we talk about faith, faith is faith that, but often I don't think we actually know what it means. Let me see if I can explain it. So all of you have had faith tonight. Right now, you have faith. You're sitting on this chair. Now, I'm really hoping none of the chairs break right now. That would sort of ruin my analogy. But when you walk in and you have faith that as you sit down on the chair, it's going to hold your weight. But what's actually holding you up at that moment? It's not your faith that's holding you, is it? It's the chair. So faith is what the object of faith is. So our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in Christ and what he has done for us. So that's what faith is. It's completely trusting God that he will justify us. Not by our works, but by Jesus. It's the open hand that comes before God, open and empty hand, and pleads Christ's righteousness and not our own. Okay, well, what does this first question mean for us? Well, I have a few things. First one, 
Justification by faith, apart from works, is the most beautiful and freeing thing for us. If it was just up to our good works, then we could have absolutely no security in our salvation. It would totally depend week to week on how we were going. If we're having a good week, we might be able to boast. If we're having a bad week, bad week, we might despair and lose hope. Now, as Andrew said before, I got engaged a few weeks ago. Pretty excited about it. I've only it's the first time I've been engaged, so it's it's all pretty new and exciting. <laughs> but this week, I was talking to someone about the difference between justification by works, justification by what we do, and justification by faith in Christ. And he said, "Yeah, it's a lot like the difference between dating and marriage." And it, it is interesting. Someone um, a couple of weeks ago asked me. I said, What's the, what are you looking forward to most about being married? And I thought about it for a minute, and then my answer was, I think the best thing about being married is going to be the security. I'm married. It's, I've, we've said I do. There's been the declaration from the minister saying, oh, I now pronounce you man and wife. And do you see the difference? In dating, it's all about justification by works. We're always looking at what the person's doing. Could I put up with this for the rest of my life? We're always trying to impress them to see what we can do to, <laughs> uh, to, yeah, to win their favour. But when we're married, we're married. We don't have to impress them anymore, right? No, that's not true. That's not true. We'll see later on that I don't think that's quite the case. But there's that declaration when you're married that you don't have when you're just dating. And it's the same with justification by faith. There is the declaration from God that I am just, that you are just. You don't get that with works. So if you really believe that your standing before God is not based on your works, but is based on the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, this changes everything. We no longer are left to worry about whether we can impress God enough, whether we can do enough. Have a listen again to God's word in verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What wonderful security it is to know that we are justified freely by his grace apart from our works. But knowing this also changes the way we relate to God. Often I find myself, after I've sinned, running away from God. I feel that I need to do something good before I can come back to God, before I can ask him for forgiveness. But this is crazy. When I say this, when I do this, I'm saying to God, the cross of Christ was not enough to cover my sin. I need to add to that my good works. That is crazy. We have been justified by faith apart from observing the law. When we get this, we won't run away from God after we have sinned, but we will run to him and ask for mercy and grace. We will run to him and plead not our works, but the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's amazing news. But there's another thing I want to say as well. When we get that we're justified by faith alone apart from works, that's going to change the way we relate to each other. Uh, Last year in in my Bible study group, 
one of the girls came up to me at one stage and said, Matt, everyone else in the group's got it all together except me. I'm just, I'm just not good enough to be in this group. And it was really actually discouraging to hear that, first of all, because we didn't have it together. No one else in the group had it all together. Just look around this room. We're all a mess. <laughs> no one in the group had it together, but for her, she thought that was the case. At that moment, I think she was, she was not looking to Christ and his righteousness for her justification, but she was looking to herself and her good works and comparing that to others. And I think we can be tempted to do the same thing. Even as we sit here tonight in church, I think we could be tempted to look around and think of others as either better than ourselves or as worse than ourselves. But if our trust is in Christ, then this cannot be, for we are all sinners saved by grace. Isn't this a humbling picture? And it takes us completely out of it. It's not about us. It's not about what we've done. not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. All of us are equally justified in God's sight. All of us are equally declared not guilty. Now, if this is the case, then we don't have to boast or despair. There's not degrees of Christianness. There's not some that are good and some that are still trying to make their way up. We are all sinners saved by grace. I love the way Ephesians puts it. I'm sure most of you have heard this. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. We don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to come to church every week pretending we have it all together. We can be open and honest about the areas in which we struggle. This is why I love hearing people's testimonies. I loved the other week hearing from Steve, and we've been doing it this year in Bible study as well. I've been asking people in my group to, to speak to us and to uh, tell us what God has been doing in their lives. And it's been so refreshing to hear people be open and honest about their sin and their struggles and then tell of how God has worked in their lives to forgive and to change them. Christians have testimonies, not biographies. A biography is what you have done in your life. A testimony is what God has done for you. And I hope that we never become a church where we have to pretend we have it all together. My prayer is that we will be a church that speaks openly and honestly about our struggles with each other and then rejoices in the God who has justified us in spite of that. So there is no boasting, for we are justified freely by God's grace through Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. Okay, question two. Have a look at verse 29. It says, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who would justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Now, Paul's next logical step is to show that there is only one God for the Jews and for the Gentiles. But more than that, I don't know if you saw it, he says there is only one way for both to be saved. 
Have a look at verse 30. It says, There is one God who will justify the circumcised, that is, those who have the law, by faith, and the uncircumcised, those without the law, through that same faith. God does not have two ways to be justified, one for the Jews who have the law and one for everyone else who doesn't. There is one way to be saved, and this has always been the case. Again, next, week's gonna t- uh, next week, Paul will take us back to the Old Testament, to Abraham and to David, and show us from them that this has always been the case. They weren't justified by works either. They were justified by faith. But for now, what, what's Paul saying? Well, just as there's one God, there is one way to be justified by that God. Now, I think it's often easy, you know, we come to church every week to, to hear that and go, yep, that's offensive. That is an offensive message. Sometimes I think we, we don't hear the offense of the gospel. Paul says there is one God. And there is only one way to be right with him. The gospel is completely exclusive. But at the same time, it's completely inclusive. Let me say that again. The gospel is completely exclusive. There is one way. But at the same time, it's completely inclusive of all. Let me explain. There may be only one way to be right with God. But this way is open to all people. It's inclusive of all. Do you see the beauty of this? God has made a way for all people to come to him. It doesn't matter what we have done, whether good or bad. It doesn't matter on your race, where you're from, your gender, anything. He calls all people, Jew and Gentile alike, to come to him and be declared righteous. And he does this freely by his grace. Absolutely freely. We do nothing to earn our salvation. And yet at the same time, this free gift to us came at the cost of everything for Christ. Romans 3.25 said, God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Or again on the screen in 1 Peter 3, Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The gospel is completely exclusive, but it's also completely inclusive of all. Friends, will you come to Jesus tonight and be freely justified by his grace? He has done everything that you need to be justified Come to him and be justified by faith. And now we get to the third and the final question in verse 31. Have a look. Paul says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? And I think this is the right question for people to ask. If people have actually heard what Paul has been saying, if they followed his argument, this is the right question to ask. If the law doesn't justify us, then what are we to do with it? Do we get rid of it? Do we nullify it? If it doesn't make us right with God, isn't that the logical step to to get rid of it? Well, have a look what Paul says. 
says, do we nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, so what does this mean? What does it mean to uphold the law? Well, I have a few things. I have a couple of things I, I want to say. I'm sure there's more to it, and as the book of Romans unfolds, Paul's going to spend more time talking about what that is. But have a look. In Romans 7, he goes on and he says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what the law was. Sorry, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was unless the law had said, to not covet. Now, an example for me in my life of this is when I go to the, the top or rooftop of a high building, they often have these signs that say, don't throw things or don't spit off this building. And to be honest, when I get up to the top, like to the roof of a building, I'm never going, yes, I can't wait to get up there, I'm going to throw something off. But as soon as I see this sign that says, don't do it, it's exactly what I want to do. Now, maybe it's just a guy thing, but I, as soon as I see that sign, I want to do the exact opposite. But that's, that's a silly example. But I think we see the same thing in our lives with those sins that we know that are wrong and we desperately want to stop, but we just don't seem to be able to. At that point, the law doesn't free us, but it condemns us. But here's the important bit. When the law condemns us, we're not to stay there. From that point, we are meant to turn to Christ. The law is meant to point us to our need for Christ. It was his perfect obedience that meant that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. It was his perfect obedience that won our justification, not ours. So the law shows us our need for Christ. And secondly, upholding the law means to love. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the law was never intended to justify us. Sorry, that's not what he says. He says, Tim Keller says, the law defines what it means to act lovingly. And love defines what it means to act lawfully. Love defines what it means to act, sorry, the law defines what it means to act lovingly. And love defines what it means to act lawfully. And when Jesus was asked about the law, he said this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So to uphold the law isn't to look to ourselves for our justification. Upholding the law means to love God and to love others. That's what the law was intended for in the first place. And being justified apart from the law frees us to then uphold the law. More than that, it enables us to love God and to love others. We are a new creation in Christ. We have been set free from our way of life and we've been reborn to newness of life. We have God's spirit within us that changes us and makes us more like Christ. At the cross of Christ, 
where God freely justified us, we see the greatest expression of this love. We see the sacrificial love of Christ. In 1 John 4, it says, This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In this, God has shown us his love. And it is this love that enables us and empowers us to love in return. It's this sacrificial love, this other person-centered love. We love because Christ first loved us. So what does it mean to uphold the law? Well, it means to sacrificially love because our justification is secure. It means we can sacrificially love because we are no better or no worse than anybody else. It means we can sacrificially love people because God first loved us. And it means we can sacrificially love because we have been freely justified by the God of love. This is what it means to uphold the law. Well, we started tonight with Paul's words that boasting is excluded. And he's right. We have nothing to boast in. For we have been justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. But I want to say that we should boast. I hope I'm not being a heretic. I think there is one place where we should boast. And it's in... Paul's word to Galatians chapter 6. It says, May I never boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May we never boast in ourselves, but may we boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where my boasting should be. This is where the kids in my scriptures class, boasting should be. This is where all of our boasting should be. Not in ourselves or our good works, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be able to say, like David in Psalm 34, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for your gospel of grace. We praise you that we are justified freely by your grace, not because of our works, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we boast only in the cross. May we tell of the great salvation that he has won for us. And Father, may we be open and honest about our sin. May we be able to confess that to others and to you because... We are no longer justified by it, but we are justified by you. Father, there is such security in that. May we only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.